0: Okay, well, we're back in Luke tonight. And uh, so this is the fourth week that we're in Luke. We're going all the way to Easter in Luke. Uh, we are not halfway through Luke, uh, but never fear. Uh, we're not going to make very much progress tonight either. <laughs> so tonight, I, you know... We've started the section about it's about the, the the journey to Jerusalem, right? And it covers chapters nine through nineteen, roughly. And uh, in studying, I, I discovered that John Wesley has he, he had a whole sermon dedicated to the the passage Luke uh, nine twenty three. Let, let's go there. It's a well known passage. We 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 know this. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So John Wesley has a whole sermon on that verse. And it's not just, a, it's not just any sermon. It's sermon number 48 in his collection of 52 standard sermons. Okay, he compiled what he felt were the most essential parts of his teaching into this group of 52 sermons. And so I was like, "Oh, wow! A whole sermon on a single verse. I'm, I'm going to read that." And so I got to the end where he's kind of giving some some challenges and exhortations. And here's what it says. And this is why uh, this is why I'm going to preach on Luke nine again tonight. Uh, we'll get we'll get we'll catch up. But he, here's what John Wesley says. And this is why I feel uh, I feel bound to uh, Luke nine tonight. It is not enough. For a minister of the gospel not to oppose the doctrine of self-denial. So it's not enough just to not oppose it. To say nothing concerning it. Nay, he cannot satisfy his duty by saying a little in favor of it. If he would indeed be pure from the blood of all men, he must speak of it frequently and largely. He must inculcate the necessity of it in the clearest and strongest manner. He must press it with his might on all persons at all times and in all places. So that's why we're going to preach again on Luke 9. I I read that and it went, I cannot just breeze over this. This is something uh, that is essential to our life together. So we're going to talk tonight about, as John Wesley would call it, the doctrine of of self-denial, okay? And you should hear that too. This is a little upfront challenge. It's not enough just to not oppose this idea of that you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's not enough just to kind of nod toward it every now and then. Everything revolves around it. Everything in our walk with God revolves around it, and as we'll see tonight, everything in the journey to Jerusalem revolves around this idea, and so we're going to spend some more time with it tonight, if that's okay with you. Is that all right? Church? Okay. So I, I want to say a few broad things about this journey to Jerusalem, and then we're going to come back to chapter 9 and just uh, live live there for a little bit, Okay. So chapters 4 through 9 were the ministry in Galilee. Jesus was establishing, uh, I I think I mentioned this last week, he was establishing his identity. He was establishing the, the nature of his ministry, meaning that he came to save. He came to bring salvation. And what that salvation meant was good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, you know, uh, delivery from de- deliverance from from demons and oppression and uh, all these sorts of things, healing from diseases. So he was coming to bring his salvation, and what that meant was charging into where sin had corrupted the world, headlong, and bringing the life of God there. Okay, so we see that established in in those opening in that opening section, and then finally he was calling people to himself. He was identifying his followers and his opponents in that section. And so we have all the ingredients here, and then we get to chapter 9. And the final piece of the puzzle comes into play. And that is that the Son of Man is going to be rejected, delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And it's at that point... That it says he set his face to Jerusalem. And so now everything from here on out is done with Jerusalem in view. Okay? Everything revolves around this journey. And at every turn, we are reminded of where he is reminding his disciples and reminding all of his followers of where he is headed. Okay? Let me just read a few of these. In chapter 12, all right, so in, 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 in 951, he says, uh, Luke says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Chapter 12, he comes back again. He keeps underscoring his, the nature of his invitation to his disciples. I came to cast fire. This is verse 49 of chapter 12. I came to cast a fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And that's his suffering and death. Okay, in the other gospels it says a cup to drink. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am to be baptized with? And that is his suffering and and rejection. Then in chapter 13, verse 31, at that very hour, Pharisees came to him and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, I like that, "uh, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Chapter 17, verse 25. Start in verse 24. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then in chapter 18, verse 31. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So it's a journey to Jerusalem, and so the story shifts from being about the nature of how God's fulfilling his purposes and, and what his salvation really looks like when it gets in the trenches, when it gets in those dark corners of society, the light of God brings salvation, we kind of shift from that to the destination, the end goal. So from here on out we have a destination. Right? We were in Galilee. We were we were just doing ministry. Uh he was gaining quite a following. He was becoming popular. Now he is on uh, on a journey and he sets out in, in a direction and and there is a destination. So it's not so much all right, we are now going to go on this geographical mission. It's it's a, it's a it's a purpose okay you could say that when you shoot an arrow the journey it takes a journey right it's on a flight it is going somewhere okay and that's what he's saying now he's like all right here's who i am here's what i'm about now here we go okay but it also provides this this idea of journey it provides a a tangible metaphor for life as a disciple right he when he sets out on his journey he has he has really said all right you, my disciples, if you're going to come after me, and follow me. okay, Take up your cross and follow me. So the journey becomes the, the, the metaphor for, for life as a disciple. And he uses all sorts of language without even saying journey. The, the way, the road, the walk with Jesus, following, coming after. And all this shows us that being with Jesus is never a stationary thing. We're never, just in one, we're never just standing still. If you're with Jesus, you're going with him. If you're with Jesus, you're following with him. You're headed somewhere. And there's training on the way. <laughs> there's some of your stupidity that gets revealed on the way. But it's a journey, and it has a, it has a destination. And so this journey is about... The destination, and also the formation of the disciples, the formation of his his followers. And now it's a journey to Jerusalem. Now Billy sent something out uh, through the email list earlier today about the Old Testament, um, how Luke uses the Old Testament. And Luke, when he says Jerusalem, that should call to your mind. Everything associated with Jerusalem from the Old Testament. Okay, we're not just going to Jerusalem as opposed to Galilee. It's Jerusalem. It's the center of the Jewish world. It's the center point around which human life revolves if you are a follower of God. And Jesus needs to get there. He needs to go right to the right to the the, the, the core of everything It's the city from the Old Testament from Isaiah it is the city of God It's the, the in, in Jerusalem is the temple Think of all that Think of how much the temple symbolizes The sacrificial system the atonement for sin the meeting with God in the holy place it's where the throne is. It's the capital. It's where the, it's the seat of authority. And it's from from Jerusalem that the law goes forth. Okay, so Jesus is journeying to the place, the center, the nucleus of the people of God. And so he has to travel there and end up there and, and die there, go into the ground and die. And then from, from where do his disciples base their ministry after his death? It's in Jerusalem. It's from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, So you see how he has to end up there, but that's just the first part of the story. It's from there, it's from Jerusalem that the gospel will go to all corners of the world. So he says, I need to go there to do that work so that the whole world can experience the salvation that I've been revealing to you. I have to go to Jerusalem so that this isn't just me walking around Galilee doing these things. So it's all of you, my people from Jerusalem going into the ends of the earth uh, to bring this salvation, to heal, to preach good news to the poor and to do all these things that I myself have been doing. So it's from Jerusalem, it's, it's in Jerusalem that he's going to, to accomplish the work that the Father sent him to do, to die, to be rejected. But it's also from Jerusalem that he's going to base all of the ministry that is then enabled by that work that he accomplishes. Okay, It's a journey to Jerusalem. One way to look at this, the, this section uh is to remember back to the parable of the sower that's in chapter 8. The parable of the sower. And you could say that the ministry his ministry in Galilee he was he was sowing seed. Okay? He was sowing seed. And it was falling on some good soil. Some of it was just being snatched. Some people just did not understand. But some of it was falling among rocks and thorns. And it was not immediately taken away and and there's some growth right there. there's some growth immediately in the rocks and among the thorns so in three out of four of the soils there's there's moderate there's there's initial success, okay so three out of four that's pretty good, but it's in this section that we go from three out of four to one out of four. And if you remember, what were the second and third? What were the rocks and thorns? What did that symbolize? The rocks were those who hear the word and rejoice. But then when time of testing comes, when we go on the road to Jerusalem, fall away. The seed among the thorns is seed that it kind of grows, but it gets choked by the cares and the riches of life. And it can't bear any fruit. And you'll see Jesus encounter those on the way whose life is choked by riches, by cares, by worries. And they're not bearing any fruit. And he says, where I am going is to Jerusalem. And you can't, you can't have any of that stuff. You have to forsake it all. Does it make sense? So here, in, this, in this section, we are narrowing the road. Okay, the journey is becoming narrow, and we're going from three soils just to that one that good soil. that's going to be all that's left at the end okay, so now let's let's go to chapter nine, and I, I say all of that broadly about the journey so that we can look for that stuff here. Because uh, this, this chapter is, in, in, in a lot of ways, a conclusion to the ministry in Galilee, but it's also a introduction, a prologue to the journey to Jerusalem. So let's look at it here tonight as a prologue to the journey uh, to Jerusalem. All right, I'm going to read uh, 18 through 26. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Um, so just before this, they had doubted, right? Well, there was, a, there was a situation on the boat where they were going across, and they Jesus rebuked them for their fear. Um, then he... He takes them and he sends them out and they have a little bit of success at the beginning of chapter 9 and they come back. So it's, it's odd here that it, it doesn't seem like anything has indicated that Peter uh, had become convinced that this was the Christ. Right? There's nothing before this that would, that would indicate that Jesus did something that really displayed that he was the, the Messiah and the disciples saw it and said, oh yeah, you are the, the Christ. Luke includes this detail. It happened that as he was praying alone. And his disciples were with him. uh, I think what the disciples were seeing was Jesus relate with the Father in prayer. And they were seeing him be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just at his baptism, but constantly be praying and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's as he's praying alone, probably getting a revelation of his Fate in Jerusalem, probably communing with the Father around the work that the Father was sending him to do, the journey that he needed to to go on. Peter says, Ooh, there's something about this guy. You're the Christ. Now, they don't understand what that means. They don't understand the need to suffer that Jesus is, is telling them. They don't understand that yet, but he does say, You are the Christ. So he has, an initial, he has an initial act of faith here. Okay, so the seed has, has fallen, and it's a hearing with faith. But that's not all there is. He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, and, scri- and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he doesn't just say this. Peter confesses that he's the Christ. Good, great. Uh, Good initial (laughs) evidence here. And maybe he was praying, as we see in some of the other Gospels, that, that, that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to Peter. Because remember in in Matthew it says that uh, Jesus responds, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he's probably praying, Father, would you reveal who I am? And then Peter comes and asks him. Um, Anyway, so then he says to all and anyone. So it's not just a call to his disciples. It's not just a call to his inner circle. This is a call to everyone. It's not just for super Christians, super disciples. Anyone who's going to associate themselves with Jesus is to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow him. This is the only way to be a disciple. This is not reserved for the elite disciples. If you are a disciple, it's because you're doing this. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will, uh, will save it. Now let me say something about life. Life here does not mean just the opposite of being dead. Um, if you were to, like, lose your phone, you would panic because, oh, it's my life. Now, I I don't mean that in, like, the idolatrous way, but you have a lot of valuable things on here. There's a lot of things that are, are, are needed. Or if your house burned down, maybe that would be a better example, less trivial. My life. Or if you lost your job. You lost your income. That's my my life. Or if you lost a spouse or a child, my life. So there's much more here to the word life than simply, you know, having having the state of of living. Okay, life is, is is all of of what makes you you. It, it, it's it's your humanness. Okay. And here he says, whoever would save his life is actually going to lose it. If you live for life, if you live for those things, yes, even we'll see through this gospel, even your family, your father and mother, your property, yes, even those things, if you if your primary concern is saving those, you will not find life. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will save it. And you have to underline, for my sake. Because Jesus is not interested in suffering for suffering's sake. Suffering is to bring about redemption. Death leads to resurrection. And so Jesus calls us and calls his disciples to leave their lives, what we consider our lives, and reorient totally around his life. Where we like to keep things revolving around us and keep everything in order around us, that all gets destroyed. It's like when they used to think that the earth that everything revolved around the earth. I mean, this is how this is how powerful of a shift he's talking about. It's like when when astronomers used to think that the earth was the center of the universe because from where we're standing, everything's moving. <laughs> everything's moving around us. Woo-hoo. And then we discover no there's something else that's the center you're revolving around that and that's the kind of radical shit. i mean that would just blow your mind i mean all of their astronomy texts had to be thrown in the trash after that all the calculations are worthless <laughs> because because the center is off by many hundreds of thousands of millions of miles i don't know how many uh Probably my my seven-year-old son could tell you. He he likes little facts like that. (laughs) For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the angels. You want to preserve honor. You want to appear a certain way. And if my way of, of living is an offense to you if it's, if it's shameful to you to think in terms of bending your whole life around this guy named Jesus if that's offensive to you well then your presence in heaven is going to be offensive to me. Whoever is ashamed of my words. Of him. Will the son of man be ashamed. Why? Because you're just a part of the system that has become corrupt. The system that revolves around. My life, me and my life. Life. And if you want to save that, then you're none of Jesus's. So the life is, is not just a state of being alive. It's the totality of what makes you who you are, your identity. That includes relationships, possessions. And so when Jesus says, whoever would come after me, let him deny Himself. He's saying. There is a will of God. And there is your will. And when those two. Aren't going in the same direction. Guess who needs to move. Guess who needs to change. The will of God. And this is great right here. We're heading to Jerusalem. Now you will. You can stay there. Right after this, he says uh, in verse 57, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, "I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home." This is exactly what Elisha said to Elijah, by the way, and he was out plowing. I didn't, I didn't know that that was. Okay. Uh, did you know that that was from this story? That, that 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 was this. That 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 was what this passage was talking about. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. It's talking about Elisha and Elijah. So Jesus is walking along the road. Uh, back in 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 kings it, it talks about Elijah comes, he throws his cloak on elisha and he 's plowing, and he says, "Oh, let me go first say say goodbye to my folks, let me put my things in order now in elisha Elijah says, Well, okay, what is it i mean i don't care, go do what you need to do, <laughs> but what Jesus is saying here is i'm looking for even more." Than Elisha, more pursuit, more persistence than Elisha showed for Elijah. Okay? And Elisha was pretty persistent. I mean, we usually look to him as like an example of a true disciple. But he's saying, don't even go home to say goodbye, just leave everything. So, self-denial and taking up your cross. This is is what we're left with. Self-denial, so we're talking about the point at which God's will and your will are not the same. God's will and your will are not the same. It's either, you either need to deny yourself or you need to take up your cross. Self-denial means saying no to something in your life that you need to say no to. And this is why Jesus says things like, whoever comes after me doesn't hate his father and mother. He's talking about self-denial. And it sounds harsh to us, but if you were a scientist and you kept going back to the trash to pick up, those astronomy books, yeah, but this equation really made sense. Deny it. It's it's fundamentally false. Right? The, the, the world does not work like that. The kingdom of God does not work like you think it does. And so there, there are things in our life that grab us, that try and keep us in the self oriented world. And it's those things that we need to deny. No! And this is the word that's used when, uh, when Peter is falsely accused. Remember in John, they say, oh yeah, you were with him. And he goes, no! And he like, curse it. Absolutely not! Okay, This is the way we need to, to treat our life, our will, when it goes contrary to the will of God. No! No! And taking up your cross. Now, there's, there, are, there are several aspects of the cross. I mean, the, the cross is a, I mean, it, it is one of the the symbols of the New Testament. I mean, it is one of the, but you need to understand the cross, right? Paul said, we preach Christ and him crucified. And. So there's a lot of aspects, there's a lot of angles from which to view the cross. One of which is is atonement. Okay, we we talk a lot about the the atonement that Christ accomplished by shedding his blood for us. Okay, and yes, absolutely, this is fundamental uh, to to what the cross is. Uh, his blood is atoned for us, and it's done away for the need, it's done away with the need for animal sacrifice. Uh, in order for our sins to be forgiven. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. At the cost of his own blood, he has provided for us a way into the presence of God. Okay, these, are, these are all true and, and good things. But there's another aspect that Luke especially emphasizes, especially in Luke's gospel, and because it, it, it's the whole shape of this journey to Jerusalem. And that is the, it's the cross as Jesus' pattern and example for our life. okay. We love the fact that Jesus died on the cross. To do things that we couldn't do. To accomplish things. To forgive sins that could only be forgiven by his blood. By shedding his blood. We love that. We remember that every week. We don't. We, we kind of. Would rather not say. That's me too. <laughs> I am to go to the cross. Not to atone for sin, but because that is the way that this salvation of God comes into the earth. That is the way that God redeems. When people lay down their will, when people lay down their lives so that his will, if you want the will of God to be done, yours has to die. I mean, this is just, this is math, right? If it's your will, it's not God's will unless your will is God's will. So if it's your will and you want God's will to be done, then your will has to has to die. And and the two ways it can exit is through self denial or by taking up your cross. The cross is not uh it's, it, it's not something that you didn't choose. Okay, there are like trials that we go through and challenges. Those are not your cross. Those are trials and challenges. <laughs> They're not your cross. And you have to hear this. The cross is how you respond to trials and challenges in your life. That's where, that's where the opportunity to take up your cross lies. Or where it becomes apparent that your will and God's will are going contrary. God says, well, in order for my will to be done, this thing that is hurtful to you, you have to do it. And that is when you choose to do that thing, you are taking up your cross. So the cross is something, it's an opportunity for you to die, for your life to be laid down, or for you to suffer in some way for God's, for God's will to be done, and you choose to do that, that is, that is taking up your cross. Do you see the difference? It's, it's a choice you make. Taking up your cross is a choice you make. And so you can't just, If you well, I've just, you know, I, yeah, my, I have four kids. I'm just, I'm always running and going. Yeah, I, I take up my cross every day. You could be doing all of that and not be taking up your cross. Because you could just be surviving in it for, you know, just in it for yourself. Just trying to get by, and you still haven't taken up your cross. And when you do take up your cross, you're saying, yes, all these challenges, yes, all these things, but my will is to get out of this (laughs) and I have said yes to this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I wish it could be done in another way, but What Luke is talking about daily taking up your cross is when you look at all that stuff that's going to cost your life and you say yes to it. And you take up your cross and you follow Jesus. You can go and just get beat up by life and you haven't taken up your cross. Or you can go and take up your cross. No one takes my life from me, Jesus says in John 6. I lay it down. So you can let life take your life from you or you can you you can look at it and say I see the will of God. I see that this is the path that has been laid before my feet. And I see my cross. I'm going to pick it up. Because that's where Jesus is and that's where I'm going. Amen. So the the true Mark, of someone who walks with Jesus, is not whether they hear and respond in faith. Okay, there's, there's, those are a dime a dozen in the book of Luke. But it's whether they have a lifestyle of self-denial, whether their life revolves around the will of God. And cross-bearing. Sometimes, you know, sometimes taking up your cross is just a matter of, of attitude. You don't need to physically do anything different. But you need to put your will into this and to say yes to God in it. Does that make sense? It would have been different if Jesus was just executed. (laughs) Or if in one of those situations where they sought to put him to death, they succeeded. That would have been different. He wouldn't have taken up his cross. Uh, And do you see how that difference is, is crucial? This is, this I think, is something that we need to, to to recognize in our life, because the temptation is to say I'm am I'm am I'm a victim of this, therefore I'm taking up my cross. No, taking up your cross is the exact opposite of being a victim. <laughs> it's willful. It's willful self-sacrifice. Does that make sense? So, so the the, the a victim who's focused on what's being done to them cannot take up their cross they're not in a state of taking up their cross and this could set some of you free this could set some of you free then it's hard this is hard to hear this is hard to preach but it's what Jesus said he said harder things than I'm saying tonight let the don't even go back and bury your dad I don't think I'd I'd dream of ever telling someone that. Whoever's ashamed of me, of him will I be ashamed. Now, you can't miss, you can't miss all the little places where Jesus is saying, but here's the secret. (laughs) It's so much better Doing it God's way, you get so much more than you're clinging on to. Uh, go real quick to a, a story toward the end of the journey to Jerusalem. The classic story, and this is this is a classic journey to Jerusalem episode. Okay, chapter 18. Sorry. This is right toward the end. This is sort of the the bookend, the epilogue to the journey. And a ruler asked him, this is 1818. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. You can keep God's commandments and not take up your cross. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Now, let me, lest you think I just said something heretical. (laughs) The will of God, the law of God is all pointed to love, laying your life down for someone else. The way that this guy was keeping the commandments was just self-righteous and self-justifying. Um, so he was saying, well, I, I've done all this. Yeah, but you missed it. Okay. So the law of God is to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. The commandments of God are the will of God. But he said, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. Willfully part with all of that. Okay, take up your cross, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. You will have treasure in heaven. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich, the seed among the thorns. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle then for a rich person to enter the kingdom of god then those who heard it said and maybe some of us are saying then who can be saved who can do that but he said what is impossible with men is possible with god and peter said see we have left our homes and followed you <laughs> are, are are we in And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers, and this is all part of losing your life. House, wife, brothers, parents, children, for the sake of the kingdom of God. For my sake, you don't just go haul off and become a poor, destitute person just for the sake of I don't know whatever it's it's because you've seen Jesus and you've heard it from him and you want to go where he's going so you're leaving everything else who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life right but that 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 initial that that self-denial it feels like death well it is death Taking up my cross, it's going to kill me. Yeah. (laughs) And you're going to find real life. You're going to stay with Jesus uh, as he goes. And and what you're going to find yourself doing is delivering salvation to the ends of the earth. (laughs) You can save one life, yours, or you can bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What are you going to do? This is where we're headed. We're going to Jerusalem to die, but to set up mission control for the kingdom of God. And it is going worldwide. So, what you're going to see as we journey to Jerusalem, the disciples go back to chapter 9, they don't get it. And you can't get it until you see Jesus Christ crucified, and on the third day raised. You can't deny yourself. You can't take up your cross and follow him until you see the Son of Man lifted up, crucified, by his own decision, and put in the grave, and then raised by the will of God, We're raised by the power of God. And then it all makes sense. It all makes sense. And not only that, but then you realize, as Jesus says, this is what it's always been about. This is what the whole Old Testament is saying, that the Christ must suffer. This is what he says at the end of Luke. Don't you know? We've made it so complicated. We've made such a mess out of all this stuff. Out of the Bible, we've made such a mess out of it. All that's ever been needed was to stop doing your will and do God's will. (laughs) A child can understand that. That's why a child gets into the kingdom. You see that? It's, It's the simplest thing in the world, but it's the hardest thing to do every day. And so... Mr. Wesley, if you're out there watching, I'd like to submit to you that I have satisfied my doing by not just saying a little in favor of it. And I like to think that I have spoken frequently and largely about it and inculcating the necessity of it in the clearest and strongest manner. And so, Mr. Wesley, I would like to rest my case. Amen. Can we receive this? I know a lot of you have have heard so many teachings on the cross and self-denial. Maybe some of you, this is is fresh. Um, In any case, we can't come back to this enough. Can we come back to this enough? No. (laughs) There's no way. I'm sitting here reading today. I'm like, I love studying about the cross. I love learning about it. But man, I need to—I need to just do it every day. <laughs> I need to read this every day. I need to be this excited about it every day. Uh, so we're on the journey to Jerusalem, and it's a journey with Jesus, and it ends in death and resurrection. And uh, so, so look for these things. I—I th- I think some of these these core themes are really going to stick out to you as you read back through chapters nine through 19. You'll see people balk at the call of discipleship. You'll see his disciples miss it in boneheaded ways. But you'll see them stick with Jesus and learn and learn and learn. Okay? Jesus does a lot of teaching on the journey to Jerusalem. We need a lot of teaching. Okay? We need a lot of patience. And then there's little experiments. We'll go out and try. And they come back and adjust a little. Okay? This is who we are. We are on the journey to Jerusalem. And so this is our story. These lessons are our lessons. And we need to receive them uh, as from the Lord for us in this time. Amen. Can we come and uh, worship some? Now, There's a a great many of you that that walk in this with victory and daily you are taking up your cross. Uh, There's some of you that may have done this for a while, but then, you know, it gets tedious and life just gets on top of you and... And you're not saying yes to the cross, it's it's just kind of beating you over the head. I'd like to invite you to come and, and and reaffirm your yes to Jesus. That all the things that you've given, all the ways that you have said, You need to lay your life down here, you need to give yourself here, you need to serve this person. Come and say yes to those things. For my sake. For my sake no it's not going to make your life better in the way that your flesh always tells you that it needs to be but you're going to be bringing the kingdom of god into the earth you're going to be charging into all those areas darkness and you're going to be bringing life and so if you you know if you if you just become burdened come down and 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 say yes to god say yes nevertheless not my will but yours be done if you've never denied yourself, if you've never really embraced that and taken up your cross and said, I'm going with you and if my will diverges from yours, I will renounce it. If you've never really said that to God, um, I invite you to come and and do business with him up here as well. So let's uh, let's spend a little time in worship and at the altar and uh, see what God does with this. This is his word. Word of God for the people of God, and we all say, Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm giving you my heart.